So the capital city, it would be like Victoria in B.C. or Ottawa in uh, Ontario. And in a couple weeks, we're going to be heading to Ontario for my son's wedding. And the funny thing is, I've been to most of the American states. I've been to 38 out of the 50 states. I used to travel in music, and I've lived in different places. So most of the U.S. I've seen, including Alaska and Hawaii, you know, those ones that are kind of connected, but you don't see them regularly. Uh, But in Canada, I've only been to two provinces so far, B.C. and Alberta. So now I'm going to add two more to my list. We're going to go to Ontario. And, of course, they're right by Gatineau, uh, if you know that area. Ottawa is right on the border of Gatineau. They kind of share that. So we're going to pop over for a lunch there. And I can say I, I, I've been there and uh, done that to our wonderful French province of Quebec. I will have been there for an afternoon and had lunch. And then we'll be back, and we're going to see the Capitol buildings and explore and, and pray for deliverance and revival there. No, just, well, they do need prayer for sure, right? They do need prayer. Let's pray for our leaders. But it'll be fun to just explore that area a little bit. And so we're going to add two more provinces to our list when we go over. And I'm uh, basically planning to officiate my son's wedding there. And uh, that's going to be a neat time together. But as we look at our nation and the state of the church and the different capitals represented of each province... Oftentimes, you would say, boy, we need revival in our land. Amen? And during this time in the early church, they were under the rule of Rome. So even though Israel was a nation, but they had to pay tribute to pay taxes to Rome. They were under Roman rule. And Rome had all these provinces, and Macedonia was an important one. Paul was called to go there by the Macedonian call. Remember in the... the, the uh, vision that he had in the middle of the night come and help us and he knew that god was calling to help them and so he began to establish churches and thessalonica was the capital city it was a hustling bustling city lots of trade lots of money about two hundred thousand people were in the city during that time but very pagan lots of pagan idolatry multi-religions uh lots of awful practices that were taking place and this new church was birthed there And so Paul was writing to them after he had already uh, set it up, he planted it, and then as he continued his journey, he was writing to this church to encourage them. And this is what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God. How many believe that this is the word of God? Say amen which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us. And they do not please God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved so as also to fill up the measure of their own sins. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Paul is saying, you've been persecuted now, just like your fellow believers in Judea who have been persecuted, and people were even trying to stop them from preaching the gospel. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavoring more eagerly to see your face with great desire. 
For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Lord, we pray that you would open up our hearts and minds, Jesus, for the next several moments. Help us to understand your word. Lord, help us to now put these things into practice. Once we learn it, let us live it. And to live our faith, put in your principles into practice that we would live pleasing to you, Jesus. In your name, amen. So the church today, the state of the church today, and we pastored in both Canada and the U.S., and we've served several churches throughout the last 30 years. And not only the churches we've served, but others that have been in those communities, it's been interesting to observe the trends and to observe how healthy the church is. The statistics are simply this. The church in Canada is in decline. Not just uh, one denomination, about every denomination across the board, the evangelical church, is not growing in Canada. It is in decline. Now, one silver lining, I guess you could say, is that the Pentecostal churches have been declining less or at a, a slower rate than other mainline denominations. Now, within those denominations, there are some that are growing. Okay, so not every POC church. Some POC churches are growing. Actually, our churches is starting to grow, and it's exciting, and nice to see new faces. And there are some that are healthy, but on the whole, uh, the percentage, as far as the overall count of Christians in churches in Canada, is in decline currently. And this is a sobering statistic. This is something that was shared to us pastors just a couple years ago when I went for a, a sectional meeting in our area when we were down in Surrey, and you get pastors of a certain size church, and we come together for prayer and for training and in fellowship. And our district, basically, our, a couple of our district superintendents, our assistant superintendents, were sharing these current statistics. So what do we do about this? What does the church need to be alive, to be growing, to be healthy? There are things, there are keys, there are aspects that we need to change so that we can do what God has called us to do and be the church that he's called us to be. And it boils down to this, live his word. Amen? It's not rocket science and it's not a mystery. If you do what he says to do, then you will be successful. This is what he told us in Joshua chapter 1. Remember, Joshua took over from Moses, the great patriarch of the faith, who now has passed away. And Joshua has to take this huge group of people across the Jordan and begin to fight battles. And one of the first ones, Jericho, right? And so what a daunting task. And he wants to be successful. They're supposed to go to the promised land. They're supposed to inherit the promised land. But there's people living there. Wicked, evil, mean, nasty people who want to kill you before you can take their land. That is not a job that I would really be aspiring to do unless God truly called me. Somebody else can take that mission. You're going to have to have a series of battles and warfare, and there might be casualties, and there might be suffering, and ultimately you'll get the prize, but you have a big task ahead of you. But God says this, do not fear, I am with you. Be strong and of good courage. And what was the formula for success? Meditate on my word, be careful to do what my word says. Do not turn to the left or to the right, but continue to do what I called you to do, and you will be successful and prosperous in all of your ways. This principle is for the church today, amen? This is for us. You say, well, Pastor Scott, that was the Old Testament. 
We're in New Testament. We're in the new covenant of Christ. We don't do the old you know, rules and regulations that they did back in Exodus and Leviticus. And, and yes, we don't do those same types of things as far as the old Mosaic covenant of animal sacrifices. However, the overarching principles of God's blessing are for us. And don't take my word for it. Uh, Galatians chapter 3 says, if you are in Christ Jesus, all the blessings and promises of the people of Israel are yours. At the end of Galatians chapter 3, read it for yourself. If you are in Christ, then the promises that he gave to the Israel people are for ours too, because we've been grafted in. Jews and Gentiles, we're all the family of God now, amen? So these principles of obedience brings blessing is for us today. So let's look at number one. God's praise should be our daily priority. God's praise should be our daily priority. You know, we were created to worship God. Paul understood the discipline of daily praise. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, we'll get into this in a couple weeks. But he says, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice, but he says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in some circumstances. Oh, give thanks in all circumstances. Now, how many of us do that? Let's be perfectly honest. Cards on the table. That's a tall order. That's a tough one. What does that require? That requires decision beforehand. That whatever comes away, I'm going to still thank the Lord because even though the circumstance might not be good, but God is always good. Amen? Amen. And I remember this old song from a, a black gospel group called Teddy Huffam and the Gems. We had it on cassette tape back in the 70s when I was a kid. My parents would play it, and it was a great group. And they say, your blessings will always outnumber your trials every time. Your blessings outnumber your trials. Yeah, but Pastor Scott, I've got like two or three things right now that I'm dealing with. Somebody's not healthy, we're struggling financially. Okay, that's legitimate, and God is here to help you and to meet your need. He will help you through that. But now let's start counting our blessings. Okay, uh, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. Uh, I've got a roof over my head. I've got food to eat, I've got friends. Uh, I've got a future, I, I live in a great country. Uh, he gives me his peace, his joy, his purpose, his direction. Man, I'm already at eight or nine, and I just started the count. Your blessings always outnumber your trials. If you believe that, say amen. amen. So even though the circumstance might not be good, but God is good all the time. You know that, and all the time he is good, the little responsive thing we do. But let's not miss the powerful principle of that. He is always good, and he promises to meet our needs, and he promises to go with us wherever we go. So that formula for success is follow his word. So rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is his will. And it takes discipline. It takes commitment. It's not always easy to do to thank him when things are going rough. And first, we're, oh, and you, man, that really stinks and and you kind of get gruff, and you get angry, and then you remember, oh, and I'm supposed to praise the Lord. And so I've done this, and I, I will kind of regroup, and I'll say, Lord, thank you that you're in control in spite of it. I, I, there's always things you can thank the Lord for. Thank you that you're on the throne. Lord, thank you, and help me with this. Work it out for good. Pray through it, but always thank him and praise him. It should be our daily priority. This is what Paul did. He says, we thank God without ceasing. And then he goes on to talk about how they've been persecuted and how the church in Thessalonica have been persecuted. But said, we still praise God without ceasing. And he goes on to 
talk about the good things, the positive things. And so it's a blessing. And sometimes we need to come together and we need to encourage each other and remind each other to, to praise. I was just at a, a pastor's retreat. It was just a, a morning thing at uh, Nest Lake Camp. And I, I, I've always wanted to go to Loch Ness and, you know, see the creature out there. So it's nice. Basically the same word, isn't it? Nest Lake, Loch Ness. But no, beautiful retreat. First time I'd been there and it was a, a interdenominational, their yearly fall kickoff pastoral retreat. And uh, I was uh, encouraged. I had a good time meeting some of the guys and ladies and just had a great time praying and worshiping together and getting to know one another. But um, we need that sometimes. And there was a, a pastor group in a local town, and there was about three guys who liked to get together. But the first time they got together, they were getting to know one another. And it was in a small town. There wasn't many churches so the few pastors that were there, some of them decided, let's come together and pray on a Monday. And so they did. And, uh, and, and they, first of all, had coffee and had donuts. They just were having a little fellowship. And then they decided, we need to just be real with each other and kind of confess our shortcomings so that we can know how to pray for each other. And the first pastor said, well, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I will confess to you now that I have a little trouble with lying and stretching the truth. Sometimes it comes out once in a while when I'm preaching, I'll exaggerate or say something that didn't really happen to get a point across. Sometimes when I'm talking to a, a parishioner that comes through, I'll just kind of fib a little bit, and I don't know why I do it, and I feel bad about it, but you know, if you could help me, keep me accountable, I would appreciate that. Well, the second pastor was pretty inspired from another church down the road. He said, well, I'm going to be honest with you. This is even more serious than that. I sometimes, once in a while, will steal a little bit. And I know it's wrong, but when those offering plates go by, uh, sometimes I'll slip a couple bills in my pocket because we're just scraping by, and, 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 you know, and I'll take the leftover uh, food after the local potluck, and I, I just I kind of steal a little bit. I know i got to stop, so if you could keep me accountable and pray for me for forgiveness, I would appreciate that. Well, the third pastor was so inspired. He said, well, boy, I appreciate you guys being very honest and open my problem is I really struggle with gossiping, and I can't wait to get out of here and talk to somebody soon. <laughs> so you got to be careful who your prayer partners are, right? The truth is we need to keep each other accountable, but we need to encourage each other and keep each other strong in the Lord. Now, we can't force anybody to do anything. Everybody has to choose you this day who you're going to serve, but I can come alongside you and encourage you in the Lord, and try to be a blessing to you. So when we go through the tough things, it's hard to keep the positive in mind. It's hard to remember that God has a plan. And when we're going through something difficult, let me encourage you this morning, He always has a plan to work it for good. Amen? He works all things for good for those who love Him and are called to His purpose, Romans 8, 28. And that means both the positive and the negative, both the ups and the downs. If something difficult is happening... He has a plan to bring something good from that at some point in time. We may not see it right now. It might take a month. It might take a year. But something positive, even if it's just our personal character, Christian character growing and learning to lean on Jesus. But maybe there's much more than that. Maybe there's other lives around you that will be touched, that will be helped. But God will bring something positive from that because he works it all for good. Choosing to thank God in the midst of trials it requires commitment, and it's a spiritual discipline. But the more we do it, 
then we are a testimony for Jesus Christ and we will be the church that he's called us to be. Number two, God's word works effectively in those who believe. This is so key and this just jumps off the page. If you notice, it says his word, as it is in truth, it's the word of God. We have to establish that it's his word. It's not just some man-made thing. All the authors were inspired by God. Timothy says it's the inspired and fallible word of God, profitable for teaching, for correcting, for reproof, for instruction and in righteousness. It is God's word. All 66 books, 39 in the old, 27 in the new, all 66 books, are. Uh, uh, it works in such a way where they coincide, they interconnect. And the New Testament is the fulfillment of what was prophesied in the Old Testament. We see it fulfilled through Christ the Messiah. And we see those prophecies coming to fruition even today. It is his word, and it's the authority by which we live. It works effectively, though, in those who believe. In other words, if you don't believe the word, and you don't follow the word, it's not going to work in you. You know, as we like to look at uh, these, these keys in James, faith without works is dead. But works without faith is also dead. You can, you can work and try to earn your salvation, but if you don't believe in Jesus, you're not going to heaven. Amen? He's the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through him, John 14, 6. So you can't work your way to heaven. You can't earn your way to heaven. doesn't matter how many doors you knock on. doesn't matter how many good deeds you do, how many char charities you contribute to. You have to acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and believe that he's God's son who died and rose again. It's, it's all starts with faith, amen? Whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Faith is the key that unlocks the door to God's power to operate in your life. So as we then read the word, we have to believe the word. And as we choose to live it, we need to trust in him that he will do what he said he will do. It, it, it operates as we learn to believe it and then to obey it. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus unless you trust and obey. Anybody remember that old chorus? Those two keys. You can't have faith without works. You can't have works without faith. It goes hand in hand. Trusting him, believing him, that's faith, and then obeying him, putting it into practice. It works effectively in those who believe. Um, when I was a young pastor in my 20s, the first church we served at was in eastern Washington, called Eastmont Assembly of God Church of, uh, well, it started about 140, and after a few years, we grew to about 200 people. I was the only paid associate, and uh, I did a lot of things, because when you're the only associate, uh, then everything kind of falls under your umbrella. So I was, uh, of course, I was doing the youth ministry, that was the big thing, and then I was helping lead worship, and then I would direct the choir, and I taught the adult Sunday school class when I was only in my 20s. And I had people that were three times my age, you know, two or three times my age in my class. Talk about accountability, right? Keeping your feet to the fire. But they were gracious, and they let me grow and develop as a young pastor. So I was teaching Sunday school. I was doing worship. I was doing the youth ministry. And uh, my pastor was the presbyter, which is kind of like, uh, it's a different term here in the POC, but he's your area pastor, so he would go and help the churches in the area, and if there were problems, he would need to go away. So it seemed like every weird, wild, crazy thing that happened always happened when the senior pastor was away, and it fell on me 
the young associate at age 25. The, the office floods. I mean, we had a major water flood. Pastor Dave was away. They delivered the demoniac off of the street who had been busting up the local halfway house and just causing trouble. They dropped him off. Pastor Dave's away. You know, all the things. So it's like school hard knocks. I learned a lot and I had to do a lot. And you just got to make it happen. And of course, it's God working through us and helping us day by day. And uh, another instance where I got the call, I was home and we were renting a little duplex in Wenatchee. And we had uh, a police officer who attended our church. And he said, hey, Pastor Scott, we got one of our guys that's down in South Wenatchee Avenue, the, the kind of the poor part of town. And they said, he's drunk. He's causing some disorderly things. Uh, I, I think as long as you take him home, we won't have to you know, do anything legally, but just need somebody to pick him up and take him home. And this, this fellow, um, newly saved, he'd been living off the street, he became a Christian, but he struggled with alcohol, and sometimes when you're dealing with substance abuse, it's two steps forward, one step back, right? It's not always a clear path, and that's where uh, God's grace and forgiveness, and it takes time, it takes accountability, but... Um, I don't know where Pastor Dave was. He was probably away. And so Pastor Scott got the call. It was late at night and said, so can you come down again? And we'll call him Wayland, kind of to protect his identity. So I drove my car down to South Wenatchee Avenue to the kind of the, the bad part of town. And uh, Gene, the police officer, was there. I said, okay, so we just need to get him home. And I called one of my board members uh, to come and, and help me with it. And uh, so he showed up, and we decided to load him into the back of Bob's car. Bob was the board member. And the plan was I would stay in the back with Waylon because he was drunker than a skunk, and he, he gets violent when he gets drunk. He's not a happy drunk. He's a mean drunk. So somebody had to be in the back. Guess whose job that was? And he was a big boy, 250 pounds. And I was skinny. Can you believe I was skinny at one time? It's amazing. And long, luscious brown hair. So I was in the back, Bob was in the front, let's drive him. We had to go across the bridge, across the bridge over to East Wenatchee because there was a little apartment that he was renting there. So off we go. And I'm in the back, and as Bob begins to drive, Waylon decides he wants out of the car. While the car was in motion, and he starts to force himself, and he got one of the doors open. We're partway across the bridge, going on the bridge, on the main road, and he's starting to... to step out of the car and I'm pulling him back into the vehicle so he doesn't tumble out and get killed or hurt and trying to shut the door we got over the bridge we got up to East Wenatchee but that was the easy part so we got him up to his apartment and when we finally get to the apartment he seemed to calm down we just wanted him to sleep it off usually what happened was the next day afterwards he would be sorry he would even apologize, and you know he'd be back in church. But we'd have these struggles sometimes with Waylon. So we got him up to his apartment. We're about ready to leave, and then he decides he wants to fight. And he started to come at us. And we were two decent-sized guys, and we're trying to keep him down on the floor so that he doesn't hurt any one of us. And, and he was wanting to, to wrestle and to fight, and he was just getting angry. He was getting mad. He was out of control. And I'm trying to press him down and keep him down, but he had the weight advantage. Finally, Bob grabbed a frying pan and clocked him on the head, and then he mellowed out. So he was kind of dazed and confused. So I call that frying pan ministry. Sometimes it's necessary. 
if you're fighting for your life, you do what you got to do. And uh, he mellowed out, and he was okay. Actually, to be honest with you, Bob got hurt in the process. I think he, I think he hurt his arm or something. I think he got hurt more than Waylon did. Waylon's a big boy, and he could, he could take a lick. And so he kind of cooled down. We left. And uh, that experience was not a rare thing in that church. Uh, we had some weird, wild things that would happen. And what it did, it, it, it caused me to really grow in my faith because at times it's like, God, what's going to happen this Sunday? See, we were reaching out to a lot of street people, a lot of folks off the street. And, and not just them, we had people you know, that had means and you know, middle-class folks, but a wide variety. But we intentionally were going after people that uh, were, didn't have a lot of means. And so with that, sometimes you get a lot of substance abuse, you get a lot of emotional baggage, you get spiritism happening. And so we would have to work through these things. And it caused me as a young pastor to lean upon the Lord, to learn and grow. And when we would come together as a church or as a staff, we encourage each other. Because we knew that next week could be a whole new adventure. We didn't know who was going to come through the doors. Or what some of our certain ones that were, we called them EGRs, extra grace required. Do you have any EGR people in your life? You love them. We're all equal in the eyes of the Lord. But some people are extra grace required. And if you don't have anybody in your life like that, you're probably that person. (laughs) No, just joking. And so we would really depend on each other because we needed to have each other's back. We needed to be prayed up and not playing games with God, but to have a good quality devotional time, make sure we're in prayer, we're in the word. And so if something happens, we know that God is with us because as long as we do it his way, he's going to give us success. Amen? If you try to do it in your own strength or your own way, if you detour from his plan, uh, then you're going to fall into problems. But when we do it God's way, He brings success. He will help you. He will bless you. He will use you in wonderful ways. It works effectively in those who believe. Now, this also applies to every Christian doctrine. Forgiveness. If you will practice it and you believe that God is real and that his word works, then he will help you find forgiveness and to forgive others for love, for joy, for for help, for direction, for healing. You have to believe in order to receive any good thing from God. Because without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Amen? That's what the Word tells us. Now, you know, we're not talking about word, faith, doctrine here. We're just talking about everyday, regular, strong uh, Christian faith. Everything begins with faith. You're saved by grace through faith. You're healed through faith. Uh, When you trust Him and have faith, He will direct your path. Everything we do as Christians, it begins and ends with faith because faith is the key that unlocks the door for his power to work in you. His word will work. His principles will work if you believe it, and if you trust him, and then if you obey, trust and obey. Finally, number three this morning, God's judgment will fall on wickedness. We want to talk just a moment about this. God is loving and kind. He is gracious. He is compassionate. But sometimes now in the North American church, all we talk about is the fluffy stuff. You know, love and joy and peace. We love all the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Uh, but there's also faithfulness in there, right? Uh, goodness. And so God is loving and kind, but he's also just. He's also righteous. And he can't allow sin 
just to go uh, without any kind of consequence. Because the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin is what? It's death. That's what we all deserve. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He loved us so much that he provided a way for us to be forgiven and cleansed and to not have to reap what we sow in that way. He took the place of our sin. He took our place on the cross. He died for us so that we wouldn't have to. He's loving and kind, but ultimately, everybody will stand before the Lord. Everybody will stand before him and give an account. And those who live in wickedness, there will be judgment. And, you know, that's not the popular thing to get people coming through the doors. You've got to have Krispy Kreme donuts and Starbucks coffee. That gets them to the doors. And talk about love and joy and happiness and all happy, clappy songs. But we don't want to talk too much about sin. We don't want to talk because then you start stepping on people's toes. Well, I would be remiss in my responsibility as your pastor if I only talked about half of the gospel and never talked about the wages of sin. Because I love you, and I want to let you know, stay away from these things. It's like a big pothole, and I see you walking toward it, and if I didn't say, don't walk in there, you're going to fall, you're going to get hurt, that wouldn't be a good friend, would it? That wouldn't be kind at all. That would be turning a blind eye. Jesus loved us so much that he provided a way for us to be saved and have real life, abundant life, eternal life. But he warns us of the things to be mindful of and to avoid the pitfalls of life so that we won't fall, we won't get hurt or hurt others in the process. He wants the best for us. He's our loving Heavenly Father. I have two sons and I love them. And when they were young, we taught them what to do and what not to do. Don't stick that fork in the light socket. If you're, if you're from the South, you're a bit of a redneck, so well, maybe let them do it a time or two. Then they'll learn not to ever do it again, you know. It was like, no, I'm going to warn you ahead of time. Don't do it. I don't want you to get hurt even once. So I'm going to give you the heads up now. Be careful. Don't play out in the street, right? Because I don't want you to get hurt. That's what the Bible is. It's a love letter. It's God's love letter to us to show us how to live and what to avoid and how to get the most out of life. There is a judgment for sin. And, and we see that here in the scripture that this is coming. God is loving and kind, but he's also righteous and judge. Our Father loves us so very much, he gave his son Jesus. And one day everybody will stand and everybody will give an account. And in a way, this kind of encourages us because it's frustrating sometimes, isn't it, when we see all kinds of wickedness. And it seems like sometimes they, there's no justice at certain points in life. It seems like, man, where's the justice in this? Where's the, the justice and what's happening internationally in other countries? And you see hatred and strife and violence and, and, and bigotry and, and, and some awful things happening. And you think, man, what's, what's, are we ever going to see these people come to justice? But there is a righteous judge, and there will be a reckoning one day. So I'm so happy that I chose Jesus. Because when we come to heaven's gates, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? It doesn't mean you're, you're perfect, but you've been clothed in his righteousness. He forgives us. He cleanses us. Uh, it's not about your perfection because we stumble, we struggle, we make mistakes, but it's about your direction. Are you following Jesus every day? Because he clothes us, he forgives us, and it's his shed blood that covers all of our sins. The stuff we've done in the past and the things you're going to do in the future, his blood covers it all. He paid the price and atoned for it. 
Why do you say his blood? Why is that necessary, Pastor Scott? You see, that was established in the Old Testament. Whenever there was sin, there had to be some sort of atonement, and blood was shed. In the Old Testament, it was animals, a goat or a sheep or a bull, a ram. But Jesus, in the New Testament, he allowed his blood to be shed once and for all on the cross of Calvary. Amen? Praise the Lord. Can we all stand this morning? I'm going to ask the worship team to join us, Lisa and the team, and just to begin playing that song, Jesus. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes here this morning. As Jason just begins to play that, I want to ask us a question. Are you in that position today where you would say, yeah, praise is my daily priority. And, and I try to praise him even when things don't go my way. Or would you be honest and say, that's not me. I mean, I'm not talking about following the, that actual act. I'm talking about, have you made a decision? Do you, do you strive to praise him daily? Because it begins with that decision, that commitment of the heart. So then when those situations arise and things don't go our way, then we've already began the process and we're reminded in our hearts and we can turn around and say, but Lord, thank you anyways. But if we haven't started with the commitment or the decision, it's going to be tough to remember when it occurs. So if you would like to say, Scott, pray for me. I'm going to choose that whatever happens, and when the good things happen, man, give them the praise. And we're, we enjoy plenty of good things. But when the negative stuff happens, choose to praise him anyways, because he's good all the time. If you'd like to make that commitment and you need to, just slip up your hand. I want to pray for you this morning. We want to be people of praise. That's the church he's called us to be, people of praise. That's part of our witness, too, and our worship. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Second of all, if you would say, Pastor Scott, I, that second point you talked about where the word works when we believe. It works effectively when we believe, but sometimes I struggle in my faith. Maybe that's you. Slip up your hand. I want to pray for you today as well. And it's okay. You know, we sometimes struggle a little bit. To believe. Is this really going to happen? Thank you. Thank you. So I'm going to pray this morning. If you raise your hand, I want you to believe this from the bottom of your heart. We're going to pray. And then as the worship team sings, if you need specific prayer for something, I invite you to come up quickly as they sing. And I'll be available. And we have other prayer workers available as well that will stand with you in prayer. And if you're not coming up, just worship. And let's believe that God is going to move in our lives. But first, let's all pray. And if you raise your hand, please agree with me. And let's all join our hearts in faith. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you love us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you are powerful. You are on the throne and you're good all the time. And Lord, forgive us for forgetting to thank you. Lord, we want to be people who praise you daily, praise you in all circumstances. Philippians 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So Lord, there's always many, many things that we can thank you for because our blessings outnumber our trials. So Lord, help us to do that. We commit to be people of praise. Certainly when you bless us, when things are going good, but even when things are not so good, help us to praise you, Lord, because it keeps that right attitude, that right spirit. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to believe daily to trust in your word, not just lip service, but when the rubber meets the road and we need prayer for provision, we need prayer for 
for wisdom. We need prayer for healing. Jesus, we choose to obey and we choose to trust and have faith in you. Lord, faith is what unlocks uh, your power to work in our lives. So Lord, let us be people of faith, that we would live our faith daily. And Lord, we thank you that we're all going to stand before you, and we thank you for the reward that you have for us. Nothing that we have done, it's all because of what you did, Jesus, on the cross of Calvary. Lord, you love us and you forgive us and you save us so that when we get to, to see you face to face, you'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Help us to live for you faithfully and fully every day. We love you, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. In faith believing, everybody said, amen. 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 Lisa, leading this song. And if you need prayer, come on up and we'll be happy to pray with you.